Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July weekend. Um, those will be a lot of things going on, a lot of grilling and fireworks maybe, depending on the weather. A lot of you, like me, cleaning up trees that have fallen in their yards, right? Anybody else? Can I get a witness on that? Yep. Chainsaw action. So, yeah, a lot of, lot of good fun. Family in town or going to visit family. A lot of, lot of fun things. And, you know, like, uh, like we sang and like Jesse prayed and talked about earlier, we're very thankful to be able to live in a nation where we are free, where we can do this right here. And none of us had a thought this morning. I hope I don't, I don't get caught going to church. Anybody have that thought this morning? Nope. Isn't that great? I mean, we just don't realize what a blessing that is, you know, as we have brothers and sisters all over the world. Now, well, that's not their reality. Their reality is they pray fervently. Lord, we just pray we're able to gather with the with the saints and worship you and not have to lose our job over it or lose our home over it or lose our lives over it. So we're super thankful. And so today we're going to finish up this series on worship. Uh, looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 16, so if you have your Bible there, go ahead and turn it uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and or on your phone, whatever. And I've got a confession to make this morning and and then a, 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 an assignment, right? The confession is, is that Thursday night, I was over at our Windsor campus. Uh, they had vacation Bible school this past week, and it was great, and I got to talk about the gospel. I left my preaching Bible at Windsor campus. Yeah, so it's still there. Uh, maybe Chad Hodges is using it this morning. I don't know. So I get here this morning. I'm looking for a Bible to preach from. Of course, I got a whole shelf full of Bibles, right? But they're all these big, thick study Bibles. And I want to lug the big thing up here. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I go to the Lost and Found. <laughs> and I find this really nice, you know, ESV Bible right here that I'm using. Of course, I turn in the front page. And say, Whose Bible am I using this morning? And, of course, it is blank. So if you have your Bible, there there's tons of Bibles in Lost and Found. So if you're missing yours, one, this might be it. But also, it might be in Lost and Found. So make sure you write your name in the front of your Bible. That makes it super easy. Or you can continue to populate the supplies so I can always have a Bible to preach from. You know, whatever whatever you want to do there. But uh, anyway, we're in 1 Corinthians 16 today. And... Um, we're actually going to cover the entire chapter, but we're just going to start to kind of to get things going. Just looking at the first a few verses, we're going to look at uh, one through four. So if you could please stand back up in honor of the reading of God's word. First Corinthians chapter 16, verses one through four. And here's what Paul writes. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the church of, of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. All right. So we're entering into the closing part of the letter with final instructions, but there's a lot in here about this thing called partnership. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much, Jesus, for uh, freedom that you have granted us by your grace, freedom in Christ, but also, God, freedom as a nation, just to, to freedom to gather and worship you, freedom to proclaim your gospel, uh, the freedom to own not one but many different copies of your word and study your word and talk about your word. And, and so, God, we're, we're thankful to you uh, this morning as we reflect on 247 years of us being a nation. 
Uh, Lord, we just pray now as we talk about partnership that God, you would just um, you would encourage us. You would fan the flame of, of desire to to be about your kingdom work and your gospel propagation through partnership. And so, Lord, I just pray that you're honored in our time together this morning, uh, and may you accomplish your work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So if you're uh, taking notes, you got a, the handout or you're on the uh, Church Center app and following along, uh, going to look at the big thought. The big thought is simply this, is that often a ne- very neglected aspect of worship is the reality of this thing we do called partnership. And if you look through the New Testament, there's a Greek word used for partnership. It's a Greek word koinonia, which is often translated fellowship. But it's the same word. When we think of koinonia, we think of fellowship. We think of potlucks. We think of getting together and you know having food and having fun. But it's really this concept of partnership that there is something, really someone that brings us together, right? That should drive our lives forever. So you look at the founding of our nation. You know, it's a, I love history and man, the, the history of how these thirteen colonies ended up achieving something that was completely shocking to the rest of the world. That 13 colonies defeated the most powerful army in the world to achieve freedom. And you hear this this turn that was often used in those days, whether it was uh, by Samuel Adams or other leaders that did a lot of writing, Benjamin Franklin and, and his various writings. They would use this phrase, this term, the cause. It's all about the cause. What was the cause? The cause was to achieve freedom. The cause was to overcome a tyrannical empire that was across the pond, so to speak, that was still oppressing and subjugating the colonials to their rule without fair representation, without fair taxation, all these things. And they would often be very brutal in their, in their tactics. And so the cause became this, this, this thing, this, this movement, this reason, this purpose that really united a lot of different people from different backgrounds. I mean, I mean, there were, you had Baptists, you had Presbyterians, you had Anglicans, you had Episcopalians, you had Jewish, you had Catholic, you had all kinds of various backgrounds of people, but it united them into one movement, one cause that was greater than any one of their lives, a cause that they all felt worth dying for. Of course, what's, the, what's the, the famous quote? I wish I had more than one life to give, right? Anybody remember who said that? Yeah, I don't either at the moment. It was right here. I swear it was right here. And it just, whoop, it just left. Anyway, one of our founding fathers said, I just regret that I only have one life to give. Pat, was it Patrick Henry? Maybe. Anyway. You can Google it later and then email me and tell me how dumb I am for not remembering it. But anyway, I digress. So, but if you look at that, right, you look at that cause, and that cause is great. I mean, we're living, we're here free because of that cause that continues to be a cause today, the cause for freedom. But we get to be part of a cause, a purpose, a partnership that's even so far greater than the purpose of political freedom, and that is eternal freedom, amen? That is complete and total salvation. We get to be part of this kind of partnership, this kind of cause. And and what was it about the colonials that allowed them and facilitated them to defeat the most powerful army in the world? Well, it was them rallying together to live and fight for a cause greater than themselves that they believed came from God himself, freedom. 
Well, again, even a greater cause, and we know this is from God as well, and even more so because this is his word, his gospel to us, to live for this cause, to partner together. And so this is kind of how Paul is ending this whole letter because we've talked about the church of Corinth and all the problems the church in Corinth had, how they were divided, there was sexual morality, um, they were, you know, competitive natures. And so it was just, they were totally making a debacle of the Lord's Supper and making a, you know, the worship service was chaotic and it was just crazy. But at the very end, how does Paul bring all this together? He says, look, remember what this is all about. This is about us partnering together for something that's so far greater than any of us, the gospel. The gospel is so far greater than our lives. It's so far greater than our family's lives. This is so far greater than Kenan Baptist Church. Amen. This is greater than the Southern Baptist Convention. There's nothing that exists that is more powerful, more important, and more exciting to be a part of than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Amen. Nothing else. Nothing comes close. And so Paul ends his letter to this messed up church in Corinth. And look, if you get anything right, get partnership right. Because partnership is what God's plan is to achieve his kingdom growth. So he starts here, looking at number one of your notes, that worship includes partnership as we give financially. And so he kind of goes into this section here on verses one through four. It says, concerning the collection for the saints. So just some some things about here. One, we give regularly. He says, on the first day of every week, what happens every week? Sunday comes every week. I know it's shocking, right? But Sunday's here every single week. And so Paul's instruction to the Corinthian church is, look, when you gather together the first day of every week, there's a, there's a, a collection, right? It's it's You're to give. We are to give regularly, systematically, if you will. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to look at this, but this is part of our worship, right? This isn't something we should, we should do begrudgingly, right? It's not something we should do to try to stay on God's good side. You're already on God's good side because of Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, if you receive Christ through faith and you've trusted in him, you've heard the gospel and been born again, you're, you're on God's good side, right? God's favor is upon you. That's grace. That's what grace is all about. It's unmerited favor because Jesus earned that for us. So we don't have to go out and try to earn it. God already loves you. And if you've trusted in Christ, Christ's blood has already cleansed you of all of your sin. Isn't that amazing? This is the good news. So we don't we don't give financially for the work of the gospel to try to get God to go, wow, maybe I do love him. No, he already loves you. In fact, there's never been a time where God loves you any more or any less than he loves you right now. And there will never be another time coming where he loves you any more or any less than he loves you right now. Amen? God's love is constant, steady, complete, unconditional. So we don't give out of a hope and expectation to get on God's good side. You're already there if you're in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, if you've never trusted in Christ, Nothing you can do will get you on God's good side. The Bible says you're at enmity with God. It's only through trusting in Jesus are we saved. It's not by our works. Ephesians 2 is very clear on that, right? For by grace, that unmerited favor, by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. 
not by works so that no one can boast, right? It's only through Christ we're saved. So why do we give then? We give because we get to be a part of this everlasting kingdom. We get to be a part of partnering together for the gospel. So we give regularly. It's why we have the offering, you know, not just every week, but it's it's available every day because I know some, like today, we have a lot of people traveling and camping and on the lake or whatever for 4th of July, So they can, but they can still give through online, through texting, et cetera, right? But we do it regularly. Secondly, the good news is it's not a set amount. We give proportionally. That's what Paul says here. He says, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you, so it's something we all do together, right? It takes all of us, each of you put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. So as you prosper, in other words, according to what you receive, that dictates, right, that you're able, what you're able to give. So we give proportionally, but something aside, stored up as, me, as he may prosper. Now later, Paul's writing a second letter to Corinthians church. Things have changed. He, he hears that a lot of the good has come out of this first letter he writes to them. And like the sexual immorality issue was repented of. And there's greater unity in the church. But he, he goes back and he addresses again this issue of giving. And he tells them this time, he says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given them in the churches of Macedonia. So now he's using another group of churches as an example on what it looks like to partner to, together, to worship through partnership in giving. He says, these churches in Macedonia, he's, here's what he says, for in a severe test of affliction, so it was not prosperous times, it was hard times. Think of like our Great Depression or our recession of 2008, and hopefully we're not going to live that again, but it's not looking good. But anyway, think a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a what? A wealth of prosperity, of generosity on their part. Why? Why would people do that? Why would people who are struggling, who are poor, who don't know, who may not know where their next meal is coming from, why would they still leverage what they can and beyond what they're able, we're going to get to that in a minute, to give to this gospel work because they realize that it's so much more important than even their very lives. They recognize that there's nothing that can compare to what we do on earth, to what we invest into eternity. Nothing else compares, right? I mean, what do we live for? Just ask yourself this question. What do do I live for? What do I, when I sit there and I daydream, I'm like, man, if I could only blank, what would you fill in the blank with, right? If I could only, I could only get a million dollars. Of course, a million dollars is not as much as it used to be, but it's still a whole, whole lot of money, right? I still don't have it, right? If I only get a million dollars, if I could only get a new car, if I could only get a better job, if I could only have a bigger, nicer house, right? We A lot of times we think like this. And we set our dreams, we set our goals, we set our expectations on things that just don't matter nearly as much as eternal things, right? And so what we find ourselves doing is we get caught up into this American dream, we get caught, caught up into this materialistic, consumeristic stuffitis, 
and we live for the moment. And we and our and our vision for our life is so short term, is so short sighted. We get to live forever. We get to make an impact forever. You know, if we leverage our income and our and our our monies now for things that we can acquire a little bit later, or we get stuff now and we try to pay for it later, right? We're living very short-sighted and we're totally missing out on the partnership that's available for all of us that Jesus died for. He says here, they gave according to their means. There's that proportional, but as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. So it wasn't anybody forcing them to do this. They wanted to do this because they got it. They saw how vitally important Eternal matters are. They saw how vitally important the kingdom of God going forward is. And so they gave beyond their means. So we get to partner financially as we give proportionate. Letter C, we give to the Lord and his cause. You're not giving, when you give here to the church, you're not giving to Daniel. You're not giving to the pastors or elders or deacons. You're really not even giving to the church. You're giving to Jesus. You're giving to Jesus and his cause. This is what Paul goes on to say about the, the Macedonians to the Corinthians. It says, and this, this is still from the previous part we were reading, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So here's the heart behind generosity. So we realize it's all God's anyway, Right? Everything I have, everything I am belongs to Jesus because I'm giving myself to Jesus. I now belong to Jesus. That's the heartbeat of salvation. We confess Jesus is Lord, right? Romans 10, 9, when you're saved, you confess Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. That is that surrendering your life to Jesus. So it's all his. It's all his anyway. It's the heart behind generosity. And so you can't become truly generous with Jesus until first you give yourself to Jesus. It's got to come first. But when you give yourself to Jesus, generosity is just one of many things that just begins to happen in your life as the Spirit of God transforms us. So we worship through partnership as we give. And God has blessed our church family with great partnerships. Amen? We have great partnerships. And so it kind of brings up number two, we worship through partnership as we give of ourselves in relationship. So just listen to Paul's heart. Here how Paul has given himself to, to the Corinthian church. We'll read on. Verse 5, he says, I will visit you after passing through Macedonia. Well, he's going to do that. And it's when he's going to tell about the Macedonian church to them and 2 Corinthians. For I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing, but I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And when Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace that he may return to me for I'm expecting him with the brothers. There's just deep relationship here. They were partnering together. They'd seen some hard things, done some hard things together, and they were deeply connected. So here, as we partner together, we show hospitality to each other. Paul's asking, hey, when I come into town, can you give me a place to stay? And it was, you know, something that they were 
were to gladly do. I mean, hospitality is such a big teaching in Scripture. Like Third John 8, it says 1-8, it should be just verse 8 because there's only one chapter. It says, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Hospitality is part of that partnership. <clears throat> About a year and a half ago, y'all remember we had... We had a, a, a Life Action Ministries come in and do revival. Y'all remember that? And a lot of you were very hospitable. You had some of the team in our, in our homes. Some of you uh, let them borrow vehicles while they were here. And it was just, it was a great exercise for our church family to live out hospitality, to live out Third John 8. We ought to show hospitality, especially to such men and women that may work together for the truth, right? It's partnership. We're allowing them, we're providing a place for them to stay, we're feeding them, taking care of them. We are loving them as they came here to love us and encourage us and challenge us in the faith. That's partnership, all for the work of the gospel. And so being hospitable, how can you leverage your hospitality for the glory of God? And we're looking next year to, to get some of our home connection groups going back again. How many of you could show hospitality and host those? Lead those. That's works of hospitality. Every Sunday, we're called to be hospitable. As every Sunday, God's family, us, we're having guests, right? You know, and this is our home, right? So to speak, when we gather. And so, this, and this all belongs to God. So God's home here is having guests every single Sunday. Are we being hospitable? Are we being kind and gracious, inviting, welcoming, encouraging? That's why we do coffee and donut holes. Praise the Lord. Amen, right? That's why we do that. We just want to be hospitable because God's having guests every single Sunday. And so this is, this is super important. Not just important for our guests, but it's important for us and our walk with Jesus. It's important for our partnership because we want every guest to know that we are here to partner with you on your journey with Jesus. It's like here as members, we're here to partner with each other on our journey with Jesus. And we're here collectively to partner with the body of Christ globally to spread the gospel of King Jesus. That's why we're here. And so Peter also teaches this. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling, right? Now I'm sure when the church at Corinth got this letter from Paul, you know, it could have gone several different ways. They could have got the letter and the way that it would have worked historically is when they received a letter from an apostle, it was a big deal. So the church would gather really excited to hear a letter from one of the apostles. And so they get, to, they get there, probably one of the, the pastor, one of the elders stands up and they read this letter to the congregation. And I'm sure when he gets to this part, right, where he says, I, I'm, I don't want to uh, see, I don't want to, do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And so I'm sure they're saying, all right. Who's going to house Paul? Now, this could have gone either way, right? On the one, you could have had everybody like looking around, don't want to volunteer. You know how that goes, right? In church life or just anything. I mean, how many of you like to volunteer for stuff all the time, right? Usually when you ask for volunteers, it's crickets, crickets, right? So we don't know if that happened. Hopefully, as they were walking with Jesus, though, they said, all right, who, can, who here can house the Apostle Paul for, for the winter? Hopefully, it was like, oh, me, 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 please. Now, personally, I would love to house the Apostle Paul for the winter, right? Because I've got a lot of questions. That would be great. But we're not sure how the response was. But it's commanded in Scripture that we do it without grumbling. And so, 
Something happened here, lost, went on a different slide there. So we, we show hospitality with each other and let her be here. We enjoy spending time with each other, but we stay mission focused. I think it's really interesting how Paul includes this here. Look what he says. I will stay in Ephesus till Pentecost because a wide door of effective work has opened to me. So he shows on the one hand, he really wants to come to Corinth and hang out with them. He loves being with them. He wants to spend a lot of time with them. But because of this opportunity to be effective has opened up, he is valuing the opportunity of gospel work more than the holy huddle that can take place. Does that make sense? I think this is a really strong message for all of us because we love to be with people we love, right? And that's good. That's awesome, right? You know, in, in any church family, you've got people you just really, just really gel with. You really mesh well with. Become your really good friends. You do life together. It could be through your small group. It could just, you could be through a ministry team you serve on. You know, we just, as we're together, as we do life together, as we serve Jesus together, we just build really strong relationships. And so here, here's what is a tendency to happen. You get here on Sunday morning. Right. And, you know, you don't know everybody. We're church. It's just too, too big to know everybody. But you come in and you see people, you know, then you see people you really gel with and you just you love to be with. So what is our natural inclination? We go and we hang out with those. We go and interact with those on Sunday morning that that we really like and have gelled with. And so what can happen, and it really, I'm really proud of our church family because I haven't really seen this happen here. But at a lot of other churches, what happens is you have first time guests that come in. And no one talks to them. How many of you ever experienced that somewhere? You've gone into a church. It wasn't your home church. You walked in and, and I mean, not a soul said a word to you. Why is that? Because our natural inclinations, we go in and we hang out with who we know, we like, and we gel with, right? Paul teaches us something very valuable here, very valuable, is that the opportunity to expand the kingdom, right, is worth separating yourself in the moment from those you gel with because we're going to have each other forever, right? But this person, this these people, they're not in the kingdom yet and they need to hear about Jesus. So it is very appropriate for us to be sent out for a season to share the gospel with those who haven't heard yet. And then at some point, yeah, come back and still have those relationships, but to remember the mission, don't let the mission get drowned out by the closeness of the friendships. Friendships are good and they're healthy, but they can become an idol. They can become a hindrance to the gospel. You don't believe that? Look at all the churches in our city that have shut down because they're so close together to with each other, but they're not doing mission. And when you don't do mission, that's not a good thing. When a church loses its mission, that church dies. It's blunt, but that is true. And we can never lose our mission. Amen? Can't do it. So if God sends you for a few months to go do this or go do that in Africa or India or, or wherever, it's okay. That's good. We've got each other forever. I mean, look around this room. You got some great friends in this room. I know if those of you online, you can't really see in the room, but you got great friends in this room. The good news is in Christ, we're going to be with each other forever. Amen? And it'll be our sanctified versions of ourselves. So that aspect of each other that gets on your nerves, that's not going to be there, thankfully, right? It's good. 
but enjoy spend time with each other, but we must stay mission focused. Third, or letter C, we have each other's back. This is huge. I love how he says this. He talks about Timothy. He says, Timothy comes, make sure you put him at ease. He's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Don't let anyone despise him. In other words, get his back. Get his back. Encourage him. Stand up for him. Now, we don't know all that was going on here. We don't know why there was some that were tempted to despise Timothy or talk badly about Timothy. We're not sure what happened there. We don't know the actions and reactions. But all we know is that for some reason, there were some people that weren't loving on Timothy. They weren't liking Timothy. And Paul says, hey, Timothy's coming. Timothy's the real deal. (coughs) He's with me. He is really helpful to me. He loves Jesus. And sure, we're all sinners. Timothy is, is no exemption of that, but love him. Don't let people despise him. Get his back. In the body of Christ, as we partner together, we're to have each other's back. That is so important, especially for our kids and teenagers and college students in school who go every day, you know, are together in certain ways. But they have to have each other's back. A few months ago, all the student ministries in Jefferson County got together for this thing called Unite Weekend. It was awesome. We hosted it here at Canaan. We had like I think eight youth groups here. This place was filled with teenagers, floor and balcony, and it was loud. It was rocking. But, man, all these teenagers together. And you know why they do that? Because they want all the teenagers to know you're not alone in your school. You know, you've got friends. There are other guys and girls in your high school who love Jesus, and you need to get each other's backs. You need to support each other. You need to encourage each other because it is hard, and it is getting harder and harder to be a sold-out-for-Jesus follower of Jesus in our culture today. Amen? It's getting harder and harder, so we've got to be praying for our kids and teenagers, but we also have to be with them. We've got to have their backs as well. We've got to have each other's backs. That's part of partnership. You know, I love it when um, International Mission Board for the Southern Baptist Convention, we, we have thousands of missionaries all over the world. And every year, a big part of our great commission offering that y'all faithfully give to goes to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is a special Baptist offering that 100% of it goes to our missionaries. That's part of us having their back. It's huge. So important. So important. So we have to have each other's back. Then we look at number three. We worship through partnership as we stand firm together. Again, this is going to be harder and harder as the direction of our culture is kind of going away from biblical values. Just going to finish up here. He talks about some other people uh, that he's friends with and Ask them to take account like Apollos here. But you get to verse 13. He says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Standing firm. Now, our cultural descent is nothing new. The Roman Empire was just as bad, if not worse, than where we are right now. And so the Corinthian church, what they faced, their culture is very like ours. Rampant idolatry, 
rampant sexual immorality, rampant anti-God values. It's nothing new. Here, this church, Paul is telling them, you can't stand firm by yourself. All the command here is the plural. It's to the entire church family, right? You collectively stand firm. You collectively be strong in the faith. You collectively act like men. Be adults. Have courage. Have backbone. Have some gumption, right? Be men. Take responsibility. So let's kind of break this down a little bit. First, we're to be watchful together. We are watchful together. What does that mean, to be watchful? Be sober, be vigilant. Yeah, watchful kind of goes back to Old Testament times when in the city of Jerusalem, they had watchmen on the walls, right? Jerusalem had walls around the city for defensive measures, and they would have watchmen. And the watchmen were like guard, like guard detail. They were to look for the enemy. They had a certain sector they were to watch, and they were to watch it day or night to make sure no enemy were approaching. Because if the enemy approached, they were to sound the alarm and prepare the entire city for a defense. The watchmen on the walls. If if one watchman, right, kind of fell asleep on duty, the enemy could come in without being noticed and wreak havoc. We're to be watchful because we have an enemy. He's always trying to penetrate the church. He's always trying to penetrate believers' lives. And, you know, you see in 1 Peter 5 how Peter says, the devil, our adversary, is roaming about like a roaring lion, just seeking to devour his prey. And, you know, makes the analogy of the lion. The lion hunts herds, but the lion doesn't go into the herd. He looks for the stragglers, the weak, the separated. We've got to be watchful. We've got to be watchful over our people. We've got to be watchful over each other. Hey, if you know that someone is struggling in their faith, take the initiative, encourage them, pray for them. Don't just let it go by the wayside. Connection group leaders, if you notice someone in your, in, your, in your group has not been here for a few weeks, reach out to them. See if they're okay. Check on them. Don't, don't make assumptions, right? Because we now have elders. It's part of the elder's job too is to be watchful. Where's the, where's the straggling sheep? Where's the struggling sheep? Where's the suffering sheep? Because that's who the adversary is going to go after. We've got to be watchful for each other. So pray for each other. Be watchful. Paul says in in Colossians, he says it like this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayer is a big part of our watchfulness. Every week there's a, before the service, there's a scrolling slide and it's taught about the prayer meeting on Wednesdays at six. That's us being watchful. We pray together every Wednesday night. Secondly, we love deeply. We love deep. We partner together. We love deeply. This is what's supposed to earmark us as followers of Jesus, is this loving deeply. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, right? Here's why this is so important. This is important for many reasons, right? But just from our church context, when we gather together on Sundays, why is it so important that we're displaying love for each other on Sundays? Well, number one, because we have guests. And you know, everybody wants to be a part of something where they'll be loved. Amen? Man, I know it's, that's just common sense 101. But everyone wants to be a part of something they know where they'll be loved, right? 
So you want to be a part of a family that loves well. You want to have a mom that loves, a dad that loves, where siblings actually love each other and don't fight all the time, right? That's, we all want that. We all pray for that. We want a church family that loves each other well. We want a church family where that I know that if I'm struggling with something, that people are going to love me anyway, right? We want to know that if I have a need, if, if, I, if something happens and I need help, that they're going to love me well and help that if I go through something, I know they'll be praying for me. They'll be checking on my family. I mean, we want to be loved well, but it also means we're called to give that love well. And man, I know if I've never had this really opportunity, except a long time ago, but looking for a church home, right? If I'm looking for a church home, I'm going to walk in on a Sunday morning or a small group, whatever, and how welcoming are they? Do I see them loving one another, right? And yes, is the word of God being taught faithfully, et cetera, but I'm looking for how well are they loving because that's the indicator that they are partnering together for the gospel is how well are we loving? So just kind of go through in your mind, your connection group you're a part of. How well are you all loving each other, right? Um, the ministry team you serve on, how well are you being? Are you loving each other? And here's a challenge. Make it better. It is your personal responsibility to make sure you are loving well and you're encouraging love in your ministry groups and in your small groups. Amen? Make it better. Love well. Take the lead and love. If you notice that someone's not there and you're not the connection group leader, you know what? That's okay. Just send a text. Hey, missed you today. Hope everything's all right. That's all you got to say. Don't put them on a guilt trip like, Hey, missed you today. You know you might go to hell because you missed today. No, don't do that because it's not true, right? But don't be, you know, don't be like that. But but just love well. Encourage them. Hey, I mean, if you don't show up, you love to hear, hey, you know, I, I, I missed you. We like to be missed, right? That's part of loving each other, right? And so this loving well is a big deal. See, we submit to one another. We submit to one another. And here as we get ready to to wrap this up, verse 15 and 16. It says, I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, that they both had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. A church that partners together defers to one another. That's what happens. Like Paul says in Philippians chapter two, do nothing from rivalry or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. There's that mutual submission. You know, as you go back to the founding of our nation, you kind of go through these same points. Did they partner together through giving financially? Absolutely. When the First Continental Congress met, you know, they, uh, they were strapped financially. They had soldiers serving in the Continental Army that hadn't gotten paid. So all these men from their own pockets gave money to pay some of these soldiers. George Washington, out of his own pocket, paid the soldiers. They ended up because they believed in the cause. They were partnering together for the cause. Hmm. Our second point, 
They gave of themselves in relationship. These guys, they were in it together. They forged incredible friendships, partnerships, as they took on this great enemy together. Men in different towns and villages formed militias. They weren't that well trained. And yet, Concord, the first the first shot was fired, they, this militia went out and faced a formidable enemy. And they were there. And they, they, they were fighting for the cause, but they were also fighting for each other. They were fighting for their next door neighbors on the farm a few acres away. And for the local mayor who was helping, trying to help the colonials overcome the tyrannical laws of the British Empire, they were, they were there together. They were relational. They were in the trenches together. three was partnering through standing firm together. Well, did they stand firm? They stood firm. And it wasn't easy to stand firm because it wasn't a cut and dry thing. A lot of colonials weren't so sure that turning against the British Empire was the right thing. So it was just hard things, hard decisions. They'd been taught to be loyal to the king since they were wee little kids. And there was theological issues. Romans 13 says, submit to the authorities, right? And so just some tough issues. They band together and they stood firm. Conviction, convictional in their values and their cause for freedom. And look what happened. Here we are today. 247 years. What about the gospel? What about us? What if we were to be that intentional, that strategic in our partnerships as they were for the cause of freedom, more so we for the cause of the gospel? Like every day mattered. How you lived at work mattered. How you conducted yourself in your neighborhood mattered. How you stood firm mattered. At that same level what could happen I think we're seeing some taste of that you know we're we've got a lot of great partnerships right now we're partnering together with other churches in the area it's something I've really not seen before in my ministry and my life is we have like five or six churches partnering together to plant Fairmont that's just that's exciting where no one's worried about well who's in control of it who's calling the shots that's not the issue the issue is we need the gospel presence right there in Fairmont City. That's what matters. That's exciting, folks. We have a lot of partners with planting churches and schools in Africa and in India, hopefully in Nepal. A lot of partners making that happen. A lot of local stuff going on. It's really good partners. It's starting to, I think it really starting to catch on. Not, not just here, but in our city. Man, we need partnership in our city. No one church can accomplish all that's got to be accomplished in their city for the gospel's sake. So we got to be praying for our other sister churches too. We be praying for churches like South County Baptist, South County Bible, First Baptist Oakville, Arnold First Baptist, Concord Church. We need to be praying for them because that's what partnership does. They're family too, right? But you get to be a part of the greatest cause of all time. You get to be a part of the most important movement in all of history. 
and you get to be a part of it every single day. And it begins the moment you give your life to Jesus, but it continues for the rest of our lives. Now, I'm thankful that there were some folks on mission who told me about the gospel. Aren't you? I'm thankful that there have been people that God has placed in my life who are on mission, who poured into my life to help me grow in him. I'm thankful. I'm thankful those people who got it, who said, hey, I'm a part of this cause. Sign me up. I'm thankful for the missionaries we have, that we have sent, who have said, you know what? I am all in. I'm leaving my career. I'm leaving my opportunity for millions just to go make a few thousand. But I'm taking the gospel to the nations. I'm taking the gospel to Fairmont. How about Mario and his wife, Hilda, who just moved here from Mexico? She doesn't speak the language. She's in a foreign land with a foreign language, but she is here because she's all in for the gospel. That's exciting. We have college students, 20-somethings, who are spending their summer and more doing ministry. Some are in Africa right now. Some are doing working at camps this summer. Some are interning here. But they're, they could go be working, making a lot more money, doing jo- summer jobs. But they're all in for the gospel. It's exciting stuff. Be all in. We get to be part of this cause, which is so much greater than even the one of our nation. This is God's cause. This is the gospel cause. There's nothing more important. Let's stand and pray together. Jesus, we love you. But thank you that you first loved us and gave your life as the atoning sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven, be cleansed, be freed, (coughs) and be a part of your kingdom, be a part of you advancing your gospel to the nations. And God, I just pray here as we just kind of let you examine our life that we would just think about where am I in my pursuit of living out this cause? How am I leveraging my work life for the gospel? How am I leveraging my education for the gospel? How am I leveraging my hobbies for the gospel? And God, even more fundamental than that is for us first to ask the question, am I, am I a follower of Jesus? Lord, I know there's maybe some here watching online that have never really began that relationship with you. There's not been that moment in time where they cried out for you to forgive them, that they believe and trust you, and that they yield their life to you. So Lord, I just pray that this is a day, this is a morning, where not only we celebrate our nation, but more than that, we celebrate you. We celebrate the the gospel cause. (coughs) And God, we respond. By letting you examine where we are in our pursuit of you. And that God, you would move us up a few steps. That God, if we're not a part of a small group, we would become a part of a small group. That God, if we're if we're not leveraging our work for your glory, that God, we would begin praying about how do I do that? And that God, if we're not part of a church family, that Lord, we would be moved to join this one. God, whatever those next steps are. I pray you'd make it very clear in our hearts and minds this morning and give us the faith, give us the courage to take that step. So Lord, we just give this time to you. Pray use it for your glory in Christ's name. Amen.